Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. All right, how are we doing at the 11 a.m.? It's like a... That was like a B minus. Um, so glad you're with us today. Hey, real quick, we mentioned this at the beginning, but just one more plug. Next week, we start a brand new series called God of Underdogs uh, that I'm super excited about. My wife is going to help me uh, teach this. And so if you've ever heard her preach, that, you're going to want to be here for that. I'll lead off the series next week, and then she'll take the next two. And the whole series is about when you feel inadequate, not enough, don't have what it takes. What would happen if you really were able to live as if God was with you, for you? Like, how would that change your life? And we're going to look at several characters. Cannot wait for this series. And then next week is also Halloween Spectacular for Kids, which is going to be amazing, and our Fall Fest between services. So we say this all the time. It's a great opportunity for community, but we do this as a great opportunity for you to invest and invite, Um, meaning you've got people that you live with, work with, do life with, and this is the perfect opportunity to kind of mirror that um, whole story of Philip and Nathaniel in the New Testament, if you know about it, where like he's got all these questions, and his response is just, come come and see. Like, I can't answer all your questions. I don't know all the theology. There's stuff that I'm not going to be able to break down for you, but you just got to come check it out, and that's really our invitation. It's an alternative to church as usual. I don't know your background. You should just come check it out. And I'll just say this one thing, because I've experienced this so often, there is nothing that beats the experience of being a part of somebody's story where you invite them, and then you see their story rearranged in the best possible way, and then when you watch them go public with their faith through baptism or place their faith and trust in Jesus and know that you got to be a catalyst in starting that whole thing off, nothing beats that. So be bold. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of that invitation. So next weekend, it's going to be an incredible Sunday. Um, But today we finish For the City, and I've said this and I mean it. This is my favorite series of the year because for a lot of people who've been jacked up by the church, experienced all the wrong things, this is our opportunity to go, hey, this is what the church is about and this is what Jesus is about. And you maybe grew up in a church background where they boycotted 700 things and you couldn't even keep up. And it was always about what they were against. This is our opportunity to go, this is what Jesus is for. And Jesus made so clear throughout the New Testament that the thing that he was for more than anything else was people. Like he didn't side with the religious leaders with all the things they were against, and there was a lot of them. He ended up siding with people that nobody else seemed to want to be around. And in fact, this is the thing that grabs me about the New Testament. This is why we do For the City, is that people who are nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. That may not seem like a big deal to you. That's a big deal. And then more than that, Jesus liked them. Like, realize, it was the religious leaders that crucified Jesus. But if you look at the three years of his ministry, all of the people, from the pimps to the prostitutes to the tax collectors to the sinners to all the marginalized, had a front row seat every time Jesus was talking, and they loved being around him. Like, he's inviting Matthew and Zacchaeus, and, you know, he goes to the woman caught in adultery, and he heals the servant of a Roman centurion. And Jesus put on display this thing that you cannot miss— that the thing that he wanted to communicate is the fact that he was for people and that everybody matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. 
Meaning, God is not for people that agree with him or even move in his direction or agree with theology or go to church. God's just for people who are made in the image of God. And over and over again, that's the message he communicated. And this is why, it's why I love For the City every single year. Because we get the chance to give, to serve, to love, and there's two reasons we do this. And the first, it is the most powerful expression and communication of the love of Jesus. I don't think there's anything that expresses the extravagant generosity of Jesus like being extravagantly generous. There's nothing like unbridled, no strings attached generosity that shouts to people, hey, this is what Jesus is about. This is what the church should care about. I don't know what you've experienced in the past, but everybody matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. And then the second thing is, it is a huge communicator to our city and community. We are for them. We are four people. You only thing you may know about the church is the fact that we boycotted Disney and dancing, Smurfs and the movies or whatever you grew up with. Listen to last week's message. But I'm telling you, the thing that we're for is the fact everybody's made in the image of God. Everybody deserves, deserves a shot. Everybody can access grace and Jesus is for them. And when we're generous, that gets the attention of people who are around us. And as we said last week, it is at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. So here's the question I wanna answer this week because this is our Giving Sunday. Yesterday was amazing. We had so many people on our campus serving and going out to our partner organizations in the city and serving and getting their hands dirty. Um, we've had people that have been a part of this thing since we launched it. And now today we get to give financially and every dollar of it goes away into our community around things like food scarcity and homelessness and women's crisis and education and hurricane relief. And we get to really practice what it means to follow Jesus. But here's the question I want to answer today because it, it's, it's cool to like intellectually agree with that. Like, yeah, I got that. Yeah, I want to follow Jesus. Yeah, that should be important. It's another thing to do it. And then it's another thing to organize your life around it. And so the question I want to answer today is, how do we order our life around this priority? Like, how do we do this? Not just a, hey, every once in a while I give because I feel it, but literally, like, I follow Jesus in this area where my life is being lived with the organization around, I want to be generous in every area. I want to be generous with my time. I want to be generous with my priorities. I want to be generous with my stuff and with my money. And then, if you haven't gotten on this before, you get to practice, because we get to give and then give it all away. But here's what I would tell you as far as what we're doing today. For a lot of us, this is just another part of what we've been doing all year long, what we've been doing maybe for a lot of years. It's just a part of the rhythm of our life of we're followers of Jesus. And followers of Jesus are extraordinarily generous. Now, here's the word though that is either the biggest obstacle to living that kind of life or is the catalyst for living that kind of life. And it's a word that nobody likes to talk about because there's all kind of negative connotation around, but the word is self-control. And this is a big word in every area of your life, but the reality is self-control is the thing that determines what's, what gets control in your life, in every area. Now, here's the thing. The moment, number one, you start talking about um, money and finances, people are always like, uh, I have really bad experiences, which I get. If I had grown up with your experience, I probably would be super skeptical too. The other thing is if you invited somebody today, you're like, oh crap, worst day in the world to invite somebody. So I get that, but it's actually not. It's the best day because at the end, we're, we're going to take an offering, which we do like twice a year. We don't ever do that and nobody has to participate, but 
We give all of this away to our partners in the city, the marginalized, the hurting, the people that need it most. So that's why we should care. But here's the thing that I want to talk about, and I don't think there's a better time to talk about it than right now, because for so many of us, it's so easy to worry about the future. So the moment you think about generosity, you think about all the things you got to do, all the responsibilities you have, the pressure that you feel, how am I going to provide for, how am I going to meet the tuition bill, what's going to happen with the economy, like all of those things. But it still comes down, no matter where you are on the spectrum, to this idea that's a biblical idea of self-control. And here's what I tell you financially. Financially, the pressure that you feel, and some of you are there right now, has way less to do with how much you have and way more to do with what you do with what you have. Like for a lot of us in this moment, that's why I thought it was a good time to talk about it, you, you've looked at your 401k the last few months more than you've looked at it in a long time. Like you're looking, if you have investments, you've looked at them a lot more than you have in a while. You're trying to figure out, is there going to be a recession? What's going to happen? Are they going to downsize my department? How's my business going to do? Am I going to keep my job? I mean, all of that stuff that's a part of life. But I would still say this, that the financial pressure we feel has less to do with how much we have and way more to do with what we do with what we have. Here how, here's how I know that's true. You don't think of yourself this way. But if you pretty much all of you or most of you were to sit down with half of the world's population and describe to them the financial pressure that you feel, they would look at you like you are insane. Like we don't think of ourselves that way at all and you know, we're just living in the moment and we've got our neighbors to our right and left that we compare ourselves to. But if we were to describe to half the world how much we make and the financial pressure that we feel, they would look at us like we were crazy. They wouldn't understand it because no matter how much money you make or how much you have, the reality is if you have no margin, and this again, this is a biblical teaching, then you feel financial pressure. And by the way, when you feel financial pressure, you don't have peace. And the first thing we think is, well, I just need more money. And then Jesus comes along to say, you might just need more self-control. And here's the thing, self-control is the thing that determines what gets control in your life in terms of your relationships and your finances and your priorities and everything else. And here's the other thing about money. Money is not bad. Money is not evil. In fact, if you have a lot of money, you shouldn't feel guilty. You should just feel responsible. Money is morally neutral. Money is even a gift of God. But here's the thing about money. Money is always a better servant than it is a master. When money becomes your master, everything gets out of whack. But money is an incredible servant because money will go where you tell it to go. It will do what you tell it to do. It will go the places that you send it or distribute it toward. And it's always a better servant than it is a master. And the moment it becomes a master, the moment you lose control, it affects every area of your life. And Jesus teaches this over and over again, that if you want to live generous, which is at the heart of following me, and you want to care about the things that I care about, it's going to have a lot to do with your self-control. Now, here's the thing. That might not sound super spiritual, but it is. In fact, this is where our finances and our faith actually intersect. And this is what Paul talks about when he wrote this letter to Galatian Christians. And and here's what he said. I want you to walk by the what? I need to know you're with me. I, I I want you to walk by the Spirit, which is that can be super ethereal and we can make it hard to understand. It's not. Walking by the Spirit is living in rhythm with the Spirit of God if you're a follower of Jesus. You've placed your trust in Jesus, or even more practically. It's that thing inside of you, that conscious thing, that, that prompting of like, you need to go this direction. You need to do this. You need to stop doing this. You need to give this up. But that prompting that you feel of, I ought to, I should, that's the Spirit of God. 
And Paul's like, I want you to learn how to live more and more in rhythm and in sync with those promptings inside of you or the Spirit of God. And here's what you need to know about the Spirit of God. That the Spirit of God will always prompt you in a direction that looks very, very similar. And in fact, what he says next, this is what all of us want. Like if you got a mother-in-law off the rails, this is how you want her to behave. If you've got somebody like in the first service, amen, that really, really loud, which means there's some dysfunction that they're carrying um, into today. This is how you want your boss to respond. This is how you want your kids to behave. This is what you're wanting from your spouse or your ex or your boyfriend, your girlfriend. So Paul says, listen, the spirit of God, as you learn to live in sync and pay attention to those promptings, is going to lead you in this direction. It's going to lead you toward the fruit of the spirit, which is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. And isn't that what you're, like any relationship you have, you're like, this is what I want. This is what hopefully I want to distribute. This is what I want in return. And then he says this, and it's always gonna prompt you in the direction of gentleness and then what? And self-control. That, that as you are syncing up with the rhythm of the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit will always prompt you in the direction of self-control. One of the ways that you know that like you're growing in maturity and growing into, in listening to that prompting and what God wants for your life and following Jesus is actually one of the byproducts is self-control because everything on this list that Paul just talks about, every single one of those qualities, all of them war against your internal appetites. And Paul knows as he's writing this that we shouldn't be surprised because nobody wants to be mastered by their appetites. Do you know what I mean by appetites? I'm not talking about just your desire for food. I'm talking about all of us as human beings. We have appetites for things, for more, for better, for to upgrade, more money, sex, pleasure. But all of us have internal appetites that we're created with. And again, they're morally neutral. They're not bad. But here is the definition or kind of the um, dynamic of an appetite. Appetites by nature are never fully and finally satisfied. And if they're not checked, the more you feed them, the more they grow. And so what Paul understands is all of these things war against internal appetites, but he knows that not a single individual wants to be mastered by their appetites in any area of their life. And in fact, here's what I would say to those of you listening via radio or podcasting or you know, watching online somewhere or in the house today. There, there's been a bunch of people that could tell their story who spent a lot of money, thousands of dollars, trying to overcome an appetite that eventually dominated their life. And Jesus basically steps into all that to go, hey, you don't have to let anything master you because you already have a master. And here's the thing. When you are mastered by an appetite that gets out of control, guess what you give up? There's not love, joy, peace, contentment, and being dominated or mastered by an appetite. And so Paul goes, this is the direction or the prompting of the Spirit of God. And one of those things is self-control in every area of your life. And then... Jesus makes this brilliant statement. If you grew up in the church, and even if you didn't, you've heard this, or it's been said to you, or somebody took it out of context. But Luke 16, 13, Jesus says this. So with that in mind, nobody can serve two what? Masters. Greek, kurios, which just means one in charge by virtue of ownership. And everybody listening to Jesus, including us, are like, well, I'm not owned by anybody. I, no, nothing owns me. I'm not mastered by anything. And Jesus is like, eh, eh, hold on. Nobody can serve two masters because you cannot serve both God 
and the devil. You cannot serve both God and Satan. That's not what, this verse is so extraordinary and we've heard it so much, some of us, that it just doesn't really register anymore. But this is so profound because that's what intuitively you would think. Like if there's this war between like following God and all this other stuff, what's gonna be a war with like Satan? It's gonna be a war with the devil. It's gonna be a war with like decaying immoral culture or whatever. Jesus is like, no, no, no. You just need to know this. You can't serve two masters. And then he creates this juxtaposition of all the things that he could have said. Here's what he highlights. You cannot serve God and be mastered, basically the idea is be mastered by serving your money or acquiring more stuff, believing that somehow that's going to provide fulfillment purpose and hope for your future because it's not. In fact, sometimes you will pursue stuff and the acquisition of stuff and the very thing you're after is the very thing that you give up because you traded your peace in the process. You traded contentment in the process. You, you traded the things that you valued about your life in the process. And here's the crazy thing about human nature is we don't get clued in quick enough. Because you would think, like, we've been around this, you know, a few times, and we've chased the carrots, and we got the thing, and it didn't work, and, you know, we gave our time to that thing, and then the company just, you know, discarded us like it was nothing, and yet we keep pursuing that same stuff because there's this thing in human nature that thinks one more of what doesn't work will work. So even though I've spent 10 seasons of my life thinking that if I just get more, it's going to be better and it hasn't worked, the lie in my mind is, no, no, I know it hasn't worked 10 times, but one more time is going to be the time that works and is going to give me what I've been searching for this whole time. And Jesus steps into that going, no, 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 you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. And here's Jesus' whole position on this, which is brilliant. And we so easily miss it. That your money and the acquisition of more things in order to buy fulfillment is the chief competitor for your heart and your devotion as it comes to God. That's crazy. Because there's a, a whole bunch of other stuff that we look at that is evil, that's wrong. We think, no, no, that's the greatest enemy. No, 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 it's not. It's much more subtle than that. Your stuff, your acquisition of stuff, what you prioritize Mark it down. At every season of your life, if you care about full-on following Jesus, growing in maturity with Jesus, surrendering your life to Jesus, if you don't, you don't need to worry about it. But if you do, this will be the chief competitor for your heart and for your devotion. Basically, this is my paraphrase, but Jesus' question is, do you have money, which is not wrong, money is morally neutral, if you've got a lot, then be responsible, don't feel guilty, but do you have money or does money have you? That's the question. Do you have stuff or does your stuff have you? Do you have money or does money have you? Now, here's, I know what the answer to the question is for everybody. We're like, well, if I had a little bit more money, maybe, but I don't even have enough money for money to have me, right? Like anytime you talk about this, nobody in the room thinks that Jesus is talking to them. Like that's good for people that have got a lot of money. But the answer to the question is no, it doesn't have me, but you know, I'd love to sign up for the test. Jesus, give me more and see how I handle that. But we don't, nobody thinks they have enough. So who's Jesus talking to? Because we, we don't ever think he's talking to us. I don't know. Like 2,000 years like after this, as Jesus is teaching, who's he talking to? I mean, is it possible he's talking to people that get three Amazon Prime deliveries on the same day at their doorstep <laughs> for the seventh day in the row? 
and they don't remember what they, or like I, I bought something, I don't know what I bought, surprise, like there it is on my doorstep, I'm gonna figure out what I bought. Like, is he talking to those people? Or is he talking, and this isn't, again, this isn't a guilt thing. This is just a, man, thank you, God, for your grace, and I'm, I'm grateful, but a half the world's population, or maybe more, would, like, peer in at our life, and they would ask some really, some really kind of, to them, intriguing questions, like, okay, so just get this straight for me. You're telling me, let's just break it down one more time. You're telling me that you have a house for your car like, that's a thing? You have a house for your car, just your car? Or, or they would look at us and go, in areas of the world where they need clean drinking water, and I'm not trying to guilt you. I do this all the time. Um, I, I care about my lawn a lot. I get mad at my neighbors who don't care about their lawn. So, like, I'm that guy. Um, and I'm, I guess I'm that old now. But anyway, like, have the world's population look at us to go, okay, so you, you dump perfectly drink, good drinking water on your grass? And you do it systematically every week. Are you kidding me? Like, who's, is it possible that Jesus is talking to those people who we don't think of ourselves this way, but by the measure of the rest of the world, you're, you're top tier and you don't think about that because you, you've got pressure and you don't have margin, a lot of us, and you're just comparing yourself to people to the right and your left, but that's the reality of it. But here's the thing, regardless of how much you have, Jesus is talking to everybody because, stay with me, Regardless of how much you have, whether you're still, you know, you're in college, your car barely works, you can't afford the books that you need, and yet you still get Starbucks, like you're in that part of your life, <laughs> or you're, you're, you know, you're way further along than you were, you know, two decades ago. I mean, wherever you're at on the scale, Jesus is talking to everybody because, don't miss this, everybody is in danger of making money their ultimate pursuit or their ultimate concern and by definition when you do that it becomes ultimate and it doesn't matter how much you have and so Jesus is like I'm telling you your stuff your acquisition of stuff or more or better or upgrade regardless of where you're at it has the potential to be your chief concern or your chief pursuit, which makes it the number one competitor for your heart and your devotion. And just to take this a little bit further, I mean, think about this for a lot of us, how easy it is to surrender these massive areas of our life where like all of our eternity, Jesus, I surrender that to you. Like my need for hope or forgiveness for the future or somehow to, to reconcile some of the dysfunction and be able to move on and have a purpose. For my, like, I, God, I surrender all of that to you. Like we'll surrender our eternity and our hope and our future and our dysfunction and our sin and go, God, you can have all of it. I'm surrendering all of it to you. I need you. I mean, some, some of you do that and you're not even sure there's a God, but there's moments where you pray anyway. And it's kind of like a to whom it may concern. I'm not sure but I'm gonna pray because I just feel like I need some help. Like where we start to look up to God for these major issues of our life and yet then when it comes to the issue of our stuff, the acquisition of stuff, our money, it's so difficult to surrender. And Jesus is like, I know because it is the chief competitor for your heart and your devotion. And he would say to us, come on. If you wanna follow me, and if you want to care about the things that I care about, come on. And I'm not after getting into your stuff. I'm Jesus. I'm good. I'm after getting you. And if you haven't, and this is uncomfortable, but this is Jesus' teachings. If you haven't surrendered, Jesus would say, what you have, you've never really surrendered to me. 
And if you haven't surrendered access to what you have, you've never really surrendered to me access of you. And I want you to follow me. But then, this is what I love about Jesus. He gets super practical because he understands there's a tension here. It's like, okay, I get all that. Yes, I want to do that. I want to try to orient my lifestyle around that and follow you in this area. But like, how do I do this? Because there's still concerns. Like Jesus never teaches poverty theology of like, do this, don't worry about you. Don't worry about the people that are close to you. So he addresses it. And here's what he says. Again, famous verse. In Matthew chapter six, verse 33, he says, but seek, what's the word? But seek first. Basically, this is the guardrail to the seduction of more, more, better, upgrade. I need another one. If we could just save a little bit more, if we could just get more security, I'll be generous after. Once I get this question answered, once we have a little bit more in this fund, this is the thing that keeps you from the seduction of chasing the carrot of a little bit more of what doesn't work is going to work. He says it's not either or, it's the prioritization of. Something has to take priority. And so he says this, but seek first his kingdom. I love this. And his righteousness. Jesus would say, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Basically, I've ushered in an upside down, countercultural, new ethic, new way of looking at life, others first kingdom that is not, that is countercultural to the kingdoms of this world. And I want you to follow me into this kingdom. And come on, when he talks about seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, if you want to know what righteousness looks like, watch Jesus who fearlessly and courageously put other people first courageously and fearlessly put you first, put me first, went to a cross when there was no guarantee that the very people he was dying for wouldn't still reject him. He gave up everything. And now he says to us and invites us, I'm inviting you into an other's first kingdom where you don't go first anymore. And it's an opposition to how most of the world thinks, but I'm telling you, when you decide to take me up on this, you will find more love, more joy, more peace, more contentment, more fulfillment than you're gonna find any other way because you in that moment, when you seek me first, Jesus would say, you become a means to an end that is not you. And I don't know if you know this, but that's what you were designed for. You were not designed to live for you and for your story. You were designed to live for a bigger story, a bigger bigger meta narrative, a bigger destiny, a bigger will. And the only thing that gives meaning to anything is to be a means to an end. And Jesus is like, when you step into this and you seek me first, you become a means to an end to an upside down kingdom that has changed the world, will change the world. And one day it will represent and usher in a kingdom where Jesus will reign. Sin, destruction, injustice, and death will be no more. And you get to step in and be a part of that story for all of eternity. And that's where you'll find peace. That's where you'll find fulfillment. That's where you'll find purpose. But you've got to seek my kingdom and my righteousness before you seek anything else. And I can't overestimate the drama, and I'll I'll go quick because I talked about this a little bit in the final message of our big church series, but as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he knows exactly what he's going to do, and how extravagantly generous he is about to become for the world, 
And on the way, his disciples are talking about who's going to be first and second in the new kingdom Jesus is setting up. Because as we've said often, they thought it was a political movement. Because every generation of the church has thought Jesus was coming to bring something political, and he wasn't, and he isn't. And they're talking about who's going to be first, who's going to be second. And Jesus turns around because he knows what they're talking about. Like, hey, guys, just interrupt your, your conversation for a second. Do you guys want to be great? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about, actually, Jesus. We want to be great. We want influence. We want power. We want leverage. We want, to, we want success. He's like, perfect. Just so you know, I'm headed to Jerusalem, and I'm about to launch a brand new kingdom. Then it's going to be others first. So I don't know if you know what you're stepping into because you know how you know, the world works, which is if you have stuff, if you've acquired things, if you've got wealth, if you've got influence, if you've got power, you leverage that for the sake of you. And Jesus is like, but I'm about to start something brand new. And as we said a few weeks ago, he looks at them eye to eye, stops as they're on the road to Jerusalem and says, just so you guys know, this whole idea of acquiring for the sake of you, getting influence and power for the sake of you, not anymore. Not in my movement, not in my kingdom. I'm flipping the script on the entire thing. And now if you wanna find life, if you want success, if you want fulfillment, it's gonna be found in doing what I'm about to do for you. It is laying down your life for the sake of other people around you and others going first and me going first and you going second. And then he shuts down all of the debate and Mark records it when he says this to them, for even the son of man did not come to be served. And if ever there was a guy that could have played the God card and been worthy of being served, it was him. And he didn't even do it. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the world. And again, I'll go quickly because we looked at this a few weeks ago, but then he punctuates all of it when they're in the upper room and he's about to give his life. And they had this moment, the disciples, where they're like, Crap, we forgot to hire somebody to wash the feet, which is what they always did. They contracted it out. You would hire somebody to do it for you. And there's Jesus. And he uncomfortably and awkwardly gets up from the table, kneels down, takes off his robe, the sign of his rabbinical authority, gets on his knees. And these guys who have walked through the desert sand, he begins to wash their disgusting feet. And they're horrified. Jesus gets up from the table and it is silent in that room. And he turns to these guys at the table, the moment they would never forget, and says to them, John records it, you call me teacher, and you call me Lord, and that's correct, because that's exactly who I am, but now that I, your Lord, and your teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And then verse 15, I have set for you an example that you should do as I've done for you, and very truly I tell you that no servant, no Jesus follower, no Christian, no church, no individual is greater than his master. And in this moment, Jesus is going, I flipped the script on the entire thing and now I'm inviting you into joining an other's first kingdom. And he says to these guys in that upper room, are you guys down for that? And they were. And the next day, they watched the king give his life for his subjects. And the world would never be the same. And Jesus, through all of that, said, I'm inviting you into my other's first kingdom. I want to invite you to see the world the way I see the world. 
I want, you to, I want to invite you to see your stuff the way I see your stuff. I want to invite you to see you the way that I see you. I want to invite you to see people around you the way that I see people around you. And when you seek me first and prioritize your life around that, then you'll also seek first the people that I care most about. And Jesus would say, and just so again, there is no confusion. Here's how I see every single person you're eyeball to eyeball with because they're made in the image of God. Everybody matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. Go. That's what it means to follow me in my kingdom, my pursuit, what I'm entering the world to give to all people. And then, last thing, he's not done. Because this is the part, again, this is the part of the tension of like, yeah, I get that. Yeah, I want to do that. Yeah, that's inspiring. But it's like, I've got bills. I've got kids. I got a job. I got an education I got to pay for. And again, Jesus just comes at street level to go, okay, I'm not saying that you exclude you. And so he says, but seek first, Matthew 6, his kingdom, his righteousness. By the way, pause, believing Jesus would say that I'm for you because anybody who dies for you is for you. I care about you more than you care about you. Seek my kingdom and my righteousness and all of these things, all the stuff you worry about, all the stuff that you're obsessed over, all the stuff that you're trying to pursue and you're killing yourself trying to do it, and in some cases you're killing relationships trying to do it. All of these things will be given to you as well. And his point is, this isn't either or. This is one and two. This is the prioritization of, because somebody's kingdom has to come first. And Jesus is saying, I want you to prioritize my kingdom first. And you may not believe it, but it is the pathway to really experiencing the life that I have for you. Like, here's what many in this room have experienced. This is just true. When you put you first long enough, eventually you come in last. And here's what I mean by that. Because if you just decide that without self-control and out, without being prompted by the Spirit of God, without following Jesus and in these different areas of my life, I'm just gonna say yes and say yes and say yes and say yes to every appetite that I have. Eventually, if you say yes to you long enough, you won't be able to say no to you anymore. And you will become mastered by your own appetites. And when you do, in some cases, the very thing that you're looking for with that appetite, the acquisition of more, more money, I'll be generous when you know, we get better, we upgrade, or I feel more secure. The very thing that you're trying to find, which in a lot of cases is love, joy, peace, contentment, fulfillment, the very thing you're trying to find is the very thing that you end up giving up. And Jesus says, I want you to follow me because you are a created being and you were created to seek first your creator. And when you don't, your life, including your financial world, in many cases, becomes disoriented. So follow me, trust me, seek me first, prioritize me, including in the area of your stuff, your money, and your financial world. So the question is, I'm gonna end with this, with our whole For the City, is what would you do? And Jesus is really simple. This is what you do, and it's not complicated, and Jesus always makes it simple, but it's it's easy to understand, hard to do. I want you to flip the script and I want you, many of you, to prioritize something different than you've been prioritizing. So there's kind of two applications. Here's the first one and then I'll get to the second one in a second. The first one is more than just a for the city generosity campaign, 
The heart of Jesus is that this would become a lifestyle. This would, this would become how you live. This would become the rhythm of your life if you're, as you're prompted by the Spirit of God. And this is what this looks like. First of all, here's what me first living in our culture looks like. Live, save, give. Just super practical 101. It's live first. What do I need? Get mine. What do I need to acquire? What do I need to upgrade? Where do I need to get more for security? Where do I need to whatever? Where do we need to renovate? All, none of those things are wrong. But when your priorities become out of order, what happens is, here's how I'd summarize it. It becomes me first living and leftover giving. And Jesus is like, that's not at the heart of what it means to follow me and my kingdom. Where you live, you get yours, and then you, you know, save if you can, and then you give whatever's left over. This is what seek first living looks like. Again, not complicated. Give, save, live on the rest. You don't even need to take notes. Give, save, live on the rest. And can I just say this? Like, we're about to give tens of thousands of dollars away into our community, every single dollar of it. You know the only way that's possible is because there's a whole group of people that nobody's gonna know about. They don't get a special parking lot. Nobody, you know, they're gonna get celebrated. We have a big banquet. They just, they get what it means to seek first. Not always sexy, not always getting a lot of applause, but because they've done this week over week, month over month, year over year, it is the only way that we're able to raise tens of thousands of dollars and just give it away because those people are blocking and tackling going, even when I don't feel it, even when somebody doesn't play a video, even when I don't hear the stories or cry over the need, this is just how I've ordered my life. And honestly, when we raise all this money, the people who need as much or more applause is all of those people who make that happen in our city and community because they've seeked first the kingdom of God. They've given, they've saved, they've lived on the rest. And I'm telling you, it is a tangible, verifiable evidence that Jesus is your Lord and your master. And it's uncomfortable and we'd rather just sing some songs, but it is at the heart of your devotion and your surrender to Jesus. And it makes an impact and God will use it but I can't overemphasize this enough just being taught this for so many years. God will change you. Your life will look different. Your emotional world will look different when you take Jesus seriously in this area. So I just wanna encourage you. I, I, I make fun of this every time I talk about anything related to money or finances, but I'll say it again. Like some of you come every week and don't ever do anything that I say. And so the pressure's off, just do that again this week. You're like, yeah, 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 I'm not gonna do that. That's fine. You've done that a ton of Sundays. So, but here's where I'd encourage you. For two months, try it, do it. To the end of the year, do it. And it is easy to understand. It's difficult to do. But I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to put him first. I'm going to be a planned percentage, which is what I would recommend. Because then as God blesses you more, you're able to be more generous. Planned percentage priority, you give it first. And I'm just telling you, I've done this for two decades. I've never regretted it once. And there's been seasons where it's been really hard. But it's gotten to the place where... This is just a thing that whatever you think that you can, you know, you're going to lose out by, you know, I'm only going to live on 90% or whatever it is. I'm just telling you, you become more responsible with what you have and God somehow does more with the 90% than you're ever going to do with the 105% because you're overspending what you make anyway. And God will begin to lead you in this area for just two months. I'd encourage you to do this. But then last thing and I'll be done. But the other cool thing is if you haven't done this, this is a great place to start. This is a great time to start. Because we get to practice. And you don't have to have any of the baggage where I'm not giving to a church. That's fine. But find a place that you can give to. But what we're about to do with For the City, none of it stays here. I joked last week, but it's true. There's no shipping and handling. 
Like it's every dollar into the community toward these partner organizations around issues like food insecurity, homelessness, medical care, women's crisis issues, disaster relief, specifically with Hurricane Ian. And we have partner churches, a part of what we call North Point Network, that are doing similar things to our church around the country. And we have um, incredible people right in the heart of that. Jake is, is one of them, leads a church right in Fort Myers. And I get updates from him constantly where they're going into homes of the very people in their church. And it's devastating and people have lost everything. And so we're going to give directly to that, to Convoy of Hope and to people um, like Jake and the churches that we know that are affected. And here's the thing I'll tell you, this ability to give, serve, love, to be for the city, it is the most tangible, I think most powerful expression of the fact that we are a church that's for the city. And we're not just going to put that on a banner and we're not just going to pray for you. We're going to do something for you. And in some cases, we're going to do good for those who can't and maybe even won't ever do anything good in return for us because that's not even the point. We want to be extravagantly generous because Jesus has been extravagantly generous to us. And this is one of the most powerful ways to do that. So today, as I get ready to end, this is our opportunity to give. And our goal is $50,000. We set a goal every year. We overshoot it every year. But, you know, I don't ever you know, take that for granted or assume that. But what you need to know is we always have a bunch of projects waiting in the wings in case you guys get crazy again this year. And we will give toward those and make a massive, massive difference. I looked at these last week, but um, all of them are on the screen. Uh, 40, we're gonna do 40 gift bags to care for mothers in need and help a women's crisis facility. We're gonna equip Family Promise with three really needed computers. They do an incredible work there with families who've been displaced. We're gonna fund a remodel of a women's refuge home with amazing love. We're gonna help Echo. Um, with a stable housing program and mobile back-to-work program, which is incredible. Um, yesterday, our serve day, so many people were a part of that. We did a bunch of, of these gift boxes for first responders who have been on the front lines of the hurricane. Um, assisting Lighthouse Ministries, creating a space specifically for older kids and teens in restorative programs. Portamento of Hope. Um, we had volunteers there for hours yesterday. I heard in between services. Um, to help, we're going to help them better disperse donated items. Um, 250 kids' Bibles for Gift of Hope. Supplying Convoy of Hope. And again, we're going to collect it and then we're going to give every dollar of it away. I say this all the time, unashamedly. I celebrate this, that the last several years you were honored by the greater Brandon as the nonprofit that gave the most money in this area, in the greater Brandon area, which is such a credit to you because we don't do this once a year. We do it every month for Sunday for the city every month where we highlight a different one of our partners. We vetted all of them. In some cases, we've worked with them for years. And what we decided as a church early on, we wouldn't compete with great organizations. We would partner with them. And so we've gone to all of them personally and we do this every year. And then now we do it every month, depending on who we're highlighting to go, hey, what do you need that's going to make a massive difference and massive impact? Some of these organizations, we fund 10% of their operating budget for the year, which may not be a big deal to you. But if you run a nonprofit, that's a massive deal. You are making an impact. So in just a second, you can give via the um, QR code on the screen. Uh, you can give via the Centerpoint Church app, which if you don't have that, it's free. Just go to any app store. Or I'm gonna have ushers come. We only do this twice a year because I think it's weird um, to do it. And we wanna remove every unnecessary barrier to the gospel. But I, I make an exception for this because every dollar goes away. So if you're old school and you wanna give and you're one of the, people that writes checks, and I'm celebrating you right now. Like, you can place that in there, and you can give right now, and then in a few weeks, actually December 4th, we're going to make you wait a little bit. 
We have a massive Celebration Sunday plan where we're gonna highlight because we need time to get checks and do all the things we need to do. We're gonna highlight in a big way everything you've done with this campaign and over the last year um, on December 4th. So it's cannot miss. So all I wanna say is this, and I'm gonna be done. Whether we realize it or not, as, comfortable, as uncomfortable as it is, this is the litmus test for our devotion to God, our surrendering to Jesus, whether we are willing to put him first and others first around us. And Jesus couldn't have said it better. No one can serve two masters. Either you're gonna hate the one, you're gonna love the other. When you're gonna be devoted to one, you're gonna despise the other. You cannot serve both God and your acquisition of stuff in the sense of when you prioritize that above his kingdom, his righteousness, and extravagant generosity is the most powerful way to express the extravagant generosity of Jesus toward us. So let's do good for those who can't and in some cases won't ever do anything in return for us because in that moment we get to be a little bit like our Father in heaven. To do good for those who can't and won't do anything in return for us because everybody matters to God whether God matters to them or not. And once upon a time, the church's focus on this changed the world. It has the opportunity to impact our community. And I would just tell you, if you begin to take this seriously and organize your life around it, besides just a, a spontaneous gift, which is great, your life, your heart, mark it down, will begin to change. So ready, set, go. Would you guys, before we give, just pray with me and our ushers are gonna come and CC Music's gonna lead us out in a closing song. Jesus, I thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank you so much that we get to be a part of this. And if you hadn't done what you'd done for us, none of this would make any sense. Honestly, in that case, we should consume, we should hoard, we should acquire, and that should be the end of it. To, to quote Solomon Ecclesiastes, eat, drink, and be merry. But that's not the end of the story. You came, you did something on our behalf. You've invited us into a bigger story. Now we get to be a part and so I pray for some of us who have so much resistance to this. You begin to break down that resistance and we'd recognize that at the heart of all of this is a savior who loves us and who is inviting us into something that's bigger than ourselves. And so God, use this, use this in our city, use this in our community. But God, I pray that you would use it at the level of our hearts to move us in terms of our devotion and our surrender to our savior. And we pray this in Jesus' incredible name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.